0: ts Eliot: we shall not cease from exploration and the end of our exploring will be to arrive at the place where we started and know it for the first time
1: the interplanetary podcast the exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind your hosts here in london matthew russell and jamie franklin
2: So uh, that was a quote read out to us by uh, Brian Blessed Jamie. the one the
1: only. Can you believe that happened Matt?
2: <laughs> I can't quite believe it happened. That really was an extraordinary meeting meeting one of my absolute childhood heroes and just a he- just general hero I absolutely he really is and, just,
1: uh, and everything he says is true unbelievably. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what yeah. i mean it's like that can't be true and then you look it up and it's like oh yeah it happened
2: uh oh yeah so oh i see yeah i see what, so, he's, I see
1: what he's talking i know about. we always say it like people being lovely but he's got mm-hmm. to top them all hasn't he
2: oh yeah he's definitely lovely he's giving definitely, us so he's much time
1: and so much passion and energy and having a laugh and you know i just
0: all round cracker the interplanetary podcast putting the ace back into space.
2: We should point out now that that we were supposed to have our interview between 6 and 7 in the evening and uh, but Brian was running late and he he ended up arriving at 20 past 7. So he's already late for a key speech he was giving to the British Interplanetary yeah. Society and we thought and then he gave a two-hour speech to the British Interplanetary Society, and we thought, "Well, come on, you know, this—he's—he's this, he's an old guy. He's no way is he going to come back and do our podcast." And then he came over, and goes, "Oh, don't be silly!" and went upstairs, and he did an hour with us, yeah. And, and, and just like, and he was so lovely and so nice to us as well. And he was actually—you could tell—he was really happy to be there. He is an enormous space advocate, really and is. he's actually—he's go, going around kicking asses at, at government level so
1: he deserves a lot of respect he's he's a the utmost the utmost respect whilst his brain might be like a pinball machine going off on (laughs) tangents which is the best thing ever um he really does care and no one's more passionate than him
2: how much of how much has he lived his
1: life he has lived his life big time hasn't he he's lived 20 lives it's insane which is you know and very inspirational puppets, Matt, eh? did you walk away and, <laughs> and and sort of think oh i need to sort my stuff out I need to get Do you doing know stuff
2: oh no absolutely I, I walked away and realized yes that that it actually gave me a bit of um inspiration for the show in fact i, mm. I really think that 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 we sh- if we could be a little bit more like brian a little bit more like carl sagan and it's all about like just being aspirational about space again about i just treating it like it's somewhere that something magical can happen
1: absolutely that's why
2: that's what i thought uh but just to bring us back down to earth jamie oh don't see that <laughs> so i've got a couple of corrections from last week's show oh i love our so, corrections. Yeah, on, I know. one 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 from you and one from me and both are quite funny actually okay. so it, our friend our friend jake from the uh we martians podcast Big and we, we talked about jake Yeah, big big up the Wee Martians podcast. It's really really good. An actual fact, I was listening to his off nominal podcast as well this morning, which he. I haven't heard that. Is it good? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yes, it's it's a lot more chatty. It's a lot more chatty. Okay. So uh, yeah, so you should check out both of those. But uh, Jake um, uh, writes in because he noticed that I I cocked up, and I'm I'm really embarrassed by this one. So T Rex and triceratops, Triceratops. Lived at the exact same time of course. Oh man. I wasn't in my mind in my mind I was thinking of Stegosaurus and I don't know why I didn't pick it up. Normally I pick these up in the edit, but I didn't pick it up in the edit either. You realised so I've gone
1: I've gone and told a load of people who don't listen to the podcast that fact.
2: Yeah, now Stegosaurus, I'm gonna have to not triceratops. Myself. I oh, know. Do you know what? In my mind, in my mind, it was that, and oh, no, I thought, "Ah, the worst thing about it so is that Jake's okay, now got one up on me." Oh! yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we'll have to scan through
1: his podcast. Oh, but, but it turned With out a that fine we fine-tooth comb. Uh,
2: yes, we're going to go through and find every single thing that was right. I did actually start a, a very funny thing that. Uh, Brendan from Are We There Yet said that someone keeps writing into his show saying, "Oh, you said it put it into orbit when when you really what you really meant to say was it it, it put it into geosynchronous transfer orbit." Oh God! And it's just like, are you joking? Life's too short, <laughs> geek. And Brendan's got a boss as well. Apparently, he went to his general manager. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous, <laughs> huh? Oh God! And, and another. Uh, so, but luckily, there was a correction for you as well, Jamie. Oh, go on then. And this is really cool. So, this guy called Alex. Yeah, um, he he wrote in and, and and was telling telling me how much he had enjoyed the podcast. Nice. And he said that you mentioned the scanning balls from Prometheus. I did, yeah. And uh, and you called them dogs. Did I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, but they're actually called pups. Oh, and the reason why he, and the reason why he knows this is because he is the prop maker who made them.
1: You're not serious? I, yeah, how cool is that? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, absolutely deadly serious, yeah. Alex, that is so unbelievably cool. I'm a massive, massive fan of not only, you know, of course, the Alien uh, franchise. franchise. Know, way more than a trilogy now, isn't it? But I love yeah, all of the Alien films, and I loved Prometheus did you? Um, a lot of people bad it, but it sucks. I, I absolutely <laughs> thought it was one of the best. I thought it was brilliant, and uh, oh, I'd love to know more. Uh, do, do, do you know what? The, uh, yeah, I, I do know that Alex
2: did um, a lot of work on things like Guardians of the Galaxy, and I love
1: Guardians of the Galaxy. Matt, that can, that we, can we email movie. Alex and get him on the show? Yeah, we, we can get him on the show. He can talk uh, sorry, about some I sci-fi them, stuff. I uh, Dogs instead of pups alex um (laughs) noted but that's that's super cool let's do
2: it let's do it let's get let's get him on the show let's get him on the show Alex. if you're out there let us know get on right i think we should um what do you want to do do you want to do the news first jamie or or should we just have a or or should we do a nice big
1: long brian blessed interview uh i reckon we should save the best till last and okay let's do the news let's do the news um I don't know why
2: I haven't covered this story yet, Jamie, but um, uh, the one, a story I picked up really, really early on in Twitter, which is really exciting, was mm. that there were sort of Twitter rumbles about an object that had entered the solar system yes. that wasn't from the solar system. Yes. So this object was called A2017U1. It was uh, spotted, yeah, spotted on October the 18th, which is Jay Stokes' birthday.
1: Happy birthday,
2: Jay! Uh, yeah, happy birthday, Jay! For back then, uh, and um, it zoomed, and it was zooming in, and it wasn't noticed that it was on on, on this very very strange tra- trajectory until after it had been round the sun in September and had and uh, passed within fifteen million miles of the Earth. Uh, and was on its way back out of the solar system. But it was going really, really, really stupidly fast, like Jeez. stupidly fast. Um, and it's, it's, you know, everyone's thought that these objects might exist and come into our solar system. Uh, that's an amazing fact in this. Um, that 99% of the material that's around the sun in the, in the protoplanetary disk as they say mm. when the sun is formed 99% of it gets chucked out into interstellar space so th- there must be tons of this stuff out there whizzing around the galaxy uh, and occasionally bits of it
1: enter other people's solar systems so basically this is the remnants from a star or a uh, no,
2: it's it, it, no. It could be made. It, it's made up of remnants of very, very early galactic dust. I mean, yeah, it might be bits of old stars that had blown up billions of years ago. So this stuff is whatever it was was very, very, very old. And, and of course, they've had chance. It's the first time they've ever had a chance to analyze one of these, you know, an object that has come from how much another data solar system. Have they had from it? Do you know what? I don't know. And I, mean, I think Do we know it's going to what it's made time. of?
1: Do we know, can we know that?
2: Um, yeah, but I think it's made of rock and it was going so fast and was so hot it was practically gl- glowing red. Um, so, yeah, I think they do know what it's made from and it definitely wasn't a comet because it wasn't putting out any kind of uh, dusty trail behind it or, you know, mm. uh, no gas or anything. So it was literally just a
1: great big And let me ask you this, in. Matt. How. How much did the uh, alien nuts get on, get involved? Oh, do you know what? I I haven't followed up the story on the because alien nuts side. Every time <laughs> astronomers spot something that they're not quite sure what it is, it's always a UFO, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah it's, it, finally they've come to visit us. Have they, or is it a rock? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, no, no. I, I reckon it's just a rock. I, mean, I mean, it could be. No, I mean, Matt, as much as I
1: would love a visit from, uh, from a little alien.
2: Well, Jack, it brings me, you bring me nicely onto to the next point, Jamie. Oh, yeah. Because we were in Arthur C. Clarke's house interviewing um, good old Brian. Clang. And Arthur C. Clarke also wrote a book, a very famous book, called Rama. Yeah. And Rama was about a spaceship that enters the solar system. And literally does a flyby of earth and ju- is just using the sun really as a uh, as a as a gravity assist it would seem uh and um and the whole story is based around finding this mysterious object as it whizzes through the s- solar system right so um obviously this this asteroid is very reminiscent of that and uh, so a lot of people want to call this asteroid instead of a two o one seven u one they want to rename it Rama and That's probably cool. rightly so really it'd be pretty cool wouldn't it yeah i like so, that. so
1: um But it still needs to be confirmed. Hey, Matt, talking of the British Interplanetary Society, I think that we should say congratulations to our mate Colin, Colin Philp, who made vice president recently. And and Colin was also, uh, he was the man who uh, took six months to get Brian Blessed um, to come down and give a talk and subsequently then talk to us. So uh, we owe him a great debt of gratitude. Um, so congratulations and thank you, Colin.
2: Yeah. Colin, what a great, what a great guy. I love
1: spending coffee
2: mornings with, with Colin. Lovely guy. He's and he's too. a
1: deep purple fan, isn't he, Matt?
2: Me and Colin are off to see, are, are off to go and see deep purple courtesy of, uh, Ian Pace. But well, he's, he he's, he? he's yeah. a bit good, isn't he? <laughs> so, uh, um, bit of dad rock for you both. Bit of dad rock. Yeah. Um, my One of my favourite things in the last week was your... I, I know you love the name of <laughs> Sierra Nevada's Dream Chaser.
1: Oh, do I dream ever. Dream
2: Weaver, Midnight Beguiler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just sounds like something that Matt Berry would make up.
2: Yeah, I, I, I like to think of it as the... Uh, the female wing of the jamie franklin fan club
1: yeah pretty much i don't like to talk they're, about they're it, dream
2: mate. chasers they're dream chasers jamie they're, yeah, dream. They can, they're they just chasing dream. the
1: dream they can dream
2: so uh, yeah the dream chaser was taken up to 12 and feet in a chinner helicopter right and then just dropped and it's, oh. i'll tell you what the video footage is absolutely brilliant of this thing gliding down and it does a little wobble they're obviously checking, like, loads of kind of flight dynamic stuff out. So it does this little wobble and then comes in for landing. Right. And it, it, doesn't, have a, it doesn't have a front landing gear. It sort of comes down on a little skid. So the two back oh. wheels hit the tarmac, and then this little kind of skid at the front goes <laughs> scraping into the, uh, uh, into the old um, runway. Did you used to do cool. that, Matt,
1: when you were a kid? Do you, right, we used to call them rainbow skids, which are oh, kind of like on your, on, your, on your BMX.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to do it on my racer. Oh, yes. Yeah, you should put
1: your put your foot down. Skidding skid on a racer? Around. Yeah. No, I was, I, I no, tell, no, that's yeah, wrong. No, skidding, yeah, no, no, mate. No, you weren't was, cool. It's all about the BMX.
2: Uh, I've managed to convince my two kids that uh, Jay and I, uh, the Jay that was born on October the 18th, yeah. invented parkour. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so you, yeah. did, did you actually invent parkour or are you uh, yeah. sending them on a wild um, goose chase
2: well to be honest jay and i used to jump from wall to wall <laughs> out, outside the when pharmacy you were, when you were pissed. when we were kids well, no yeah. when we were kids oh way yeah. before but, uh, and that and that predates the invention of parkour so yes we invented parkour I, I just it's just ridiculous no i right. invented parkour we okay. Just jumping from building to building it's just a silly thing yeah yeah um, well you heard it here first Yeah, so, (laughs) yeah, in fact, I'm going to make that fact. Jay and I invented
1: parkour. Um, I wonder who's going to write in. uh, Actually, I I invented parkour. This is Mr. Parkour. Well, uh, Monsieur Parkour.
2: Yeah. Um, So, anyway, let's get back to Sierra Nevadas. Let's do it. Dream chaser, dream Dream weaver, midnight (laughs) beguiler. So, (laughs) the. Background is that it's um it was at one point supposed to be competing with the Boeing Starliner or the SpaceX Dragon as the uh co- as the commercial crew uh capsule that was going to take astronauts up to the International Space Station. Oh, okay. But it got it got it got dropped by NASA because they didn't think it was going to be ready in time. Yeah. They didn't think it would be completed by two thousand and seventeen. But hang on a second, neither's Starliner and Dragon, but we won't mm. go there. So uh, so they've been... But it has won a contract again now for uh, taking up freight to the uh, International Space Station, I believe. So okay. it looks like... Yeah, so it looks like in 2019 they're on track for uh, a launch of the Dream Chaser into space.
1: I might get... And stop me, Matt, if this is going too far, but I might get mm. a Dream Chaser tattoo. Do it. Should we both get one? Yes.
2: Are you going to have the are yes. you going to have the yes are you going to have the vehicle or are you just going to have the words dream chaser
1: Um I think it's got to be the vehicle Okay so a little sort of mini space
2: shuttle-y looking thing Yeah It does look cool It does look cool It's yet another gravitational wave discovery Jamie We
1: need to get surfing
2: Yeah so this is the fifth one this is a fifth one now black hole merger and this time it's um it it's it's the lightest one so far. The energy... So basically, one was seven times the mass of the sun, one was 12 times the mass of the sun, and then a black hole was 18 times the mass of the sun, which meant, in the words of... Our friend Dr. Jackie Bell loved one one solar mass was emitted as gravitational waves. So that was the energy that went into creating this
1: gravitational wave. One solar mass.
2: One of our listeners actually asked if we could do a deep dive on gravitational waves, and deep dive, so I, let's go so so the moment they said it, I noticed that uh, Jackie was. Um, tweeting about it so yeah. i've asked jackie to come on the show in the next couple of weeks to, and we're going to do a deep dive on gravitational waves with her
1: no one is better placed to talk about that than our friend dr jackie bell
2: yeah i mean curiously yeah doing deep diving isn't really a speciality uh if you remember the tv program but um it we it will will um uh, hopefully she that's a skill that she's now currently working on I bet, it is. I, bet it is. I become an
1: astronaut. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh,
2: oh, here's a British one. Another British one, Jamie. Go on. 60. Uh, and this went pretty much unnoticed in the press. Completely no one really said anything about it. 60 years ago, Britain entered the space race with the Skylark rocket. So we actually, you know, in, and this is 1957, so only a little bit further on from Sputnik. So, you know, a couple of months after right. Sputnik. okay. A month after Muttnik. Uh, we have uh, we have a Skylark rocket, launched from Woomera in Australia.
1: Is that yes. how you pronounce it? Woomera? Yeah. Australia have got the best names, haven't they? So,
2: yeah, it's a, a, and, and that's a very, very popular launch site uh, back in the day, and it's it's also where our first satellite was launched. Our first oh, nice. and only satellite, Prospero. The Skylark rocket, do you know that that the, the technology that has come from that really... Uh, was the thing that kick-started X-ray astronomy. Was it? And, yeah, so when you look at these massive observatories in space, Newton, Chandra and Suzuku, uh, uh, then really they ha- owe their heritage to the Skylark rocket that, that flew. It flew 437 times.
1: That is a lot of flights. Uh,
2: yeah, and the last one was uh, 12 years ago. So as a sounding, a sounding rockets go probably one of the most famous and successful it's a it's a so that was that was Britain's real kind of big contribution to the to, to good work Skylark
1: well done Skylark tip of the cap right I think it's time we can't leave people hanging any longer can we
2: no well unless you want to talk about the new discovery an earth-like planet close to earth
1: Nah. let's let's just we've got to get this we've got to get this let blessed we're only going to hear half
2: of what we heard now and we'll play yes. the other
1: half soon. Yes, there's a lot to get. We through can't here. hit you with that much.
2: <laughs> no, it, it, it was mind blowing enough in one sitting. So we're gonna we're gonna split this up. It's it's just too good. It's too good. It's time for Brian. Blessed a good day. Enjoy. We're here at the British Interplanetary Society, and we're thrilled to be joined by actor, explorer, warrior, zookeeper, prince of the birdmen, and an all round legend. It is the one and only Brian Blessed. Well, Welcome my, to the
0: show, Brian. My goodness, well, that's a big build-up. Of course, it's all, it's all true. I'm, I'm, I'm very modest and self-effacing, uh, but that's absolutely true. <laughs> what a build-up. Marvellous. I can't live up to that, can I? Well, <laughs> yes, I can.
2: Yes, you can, because there is no end to your
0: talents.
2: Uh, um, one question that I really yes. wanted to ask was, I noticed in your unbelievably fantastic book, the Uh, Pandemonium, you mentioned that uh, George Lucas was impressed by your membership of the British Interplanetary Society. Can you tell us a bit more about that story?
0: Oh, yes, I mean, nobody, I mean, anyone who talks about uh, uh, George Lucas and and Krubrick and people like this, I think you're lying. You know, people have been sued because uh, it's not been true. Uh, But um, he was impressed by my credentials and my knowledge of space, Lucas. And uh, he became a child with me uh, when I met him for Star Wars. How's going to be one of the Jedi? And then he said, no, um, I think in actual fact you're too powerful. Uh, It's not that you can't be gentle, but your personality is too strong. So I want you to be boss Nass. I mean, he's a kind of, you know, the Americans have a great adoration and admiration uh, for the interplanetary, you know, society. They absolutely adore it. They love its history. And, and for them, it's the creme de la creme. And so it means a great deal. You should get him here. He'll come along. He'll absolutely love it. Be, you know, because he's a child when it comes to space. He would just love it.
2: Well, that, that's, that, that's something on our
0: agenda, I don't mean sure. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and, and Kubrick felt the same. It's interesting that uh, my latest book, um, The Panther in the Kitchen, about all my wild animals... I'm kind of working in the garden one day, putting all my tomatoes up and this. And a man called Jimmy Liggett turns up and said that uh, Kubrick wants to meet you. He's doing Barry Lyndon. I said, and he wants you to play a very tiny man who's gay. Now, it's a big joke. It's a joke, isn't it? No, no, but it's not. is what he wants. Please come along, Brian. Because he's a power unto himself. Or, you know, law unto himself. That's ridiculous. I, I said, the cameras actually... Uh, Make me bigger than I am. Uh, When I go on camera, I put on, I become seven feet and I, you know, become 20 stone. Uh, I said, I will do anything. I can act yetis. I can act anything Uh, you want. dwarfs, God knows what. But I can't act a little man who's gay. I can't either. Anyway, so I sent him on his way, Jimmy. He was really upset. And he came back five weeks later and said, uh, Kubrick wants you. He wants to meet. Please, you've got to go. I've got a car outside. I'll have a quick shower. I was intrigued. Anyway, I got there, and the great Kubrick um, that no one ever meets was directing Barry Lyndon. And there were thousands of soldiers and about a thousand sheep in this particular scene. And I'm there very quietly, because I'm actually normally a very kind of quiet person. I just have played five parts that are over the top. And I'm there uh, sitting, and right, Mr. Kubrick. We're almost ready. OK. He turned around and looked at me. Hello, Brian. Brian Blessed. Yeah. Hello, Mr. Cobra I won't be a moment. Action. And the sheep went and the soldiers went. And then he stopped. Oh, my God. He said, cut, cut, cut. Didn't anybody see my finger go up? That's when you release the sheep. It's all terrified of him. Uh, Mr. Kruby, I'm so sorry, we couldn't quite see it. Oh, I'm wasting my time. Brian, come on, let's go for a walk. And so all the sheep were left there, all the soldiers, I'm in an army, and we went for a one and a half hour walk. And so he left them. I mean, he, he left them just like that. And I walked with him, you know, and we talked about everything. We talked about the universe. I about all the Russian great directors, Pondichek and, and composers and Einstein and everything else. Uh, and he loved all that. He was fascinated. I knew all about it. Interplanetary society uh, and all that. Uh, so he was, he was intrigued by all that. And um, we discussed uh, kind of mountains and, and then he discussed uh, the fact that he was working with NASA and using a lot of their uh, camera techniques... New techniques from the uh, NASA um, cameras which made his film of Barry Lyndon look like it was lit by candles. So he went into the lenses, made it look like candles. And he went into all that. We discussed mountains. We discussed gorillas. We discussed philosophers. And he was shocked by what I knew and fascinated. And he... um, and then he said something banal. He said, Tell me about Kilimanjaro. He said, And about this leopard. I said, Well, yes. Well, Kilimanjaro is 19,336 feet high. And on the top is a leopard all frozen in the snow, Leopard Point. And no one knows how it got there. Why does a leopard go to this great height without oxygen? Half of oxygen at sea level. Nobody knows. And Kubrick looked at me and said, Well,. Maybe the Martians put him there. Now, it wasn't even imaginative what he said. It was banal. It was silly. Uh, and I, d- I didn't say anything. I didn't say that is the most stupid idea, and a child would do better than that. <laughs> because with his great imagination and perception, what a silly thing to say. But he was quite serious. And then I joked with him once or twice about certain films... Uh, uh, with Kirk Douglas and people he didn't work with, Marlon Brando and all that. And uh, I tried to make him laugh and I made his eyes moisten. He had black eyes, a white face, uh, and a uh, very, very pale face and very intense. He reminded me of a giant dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, I looked at him and I said, You don't laugh, do you? Mr. Krubrick, you don't laugh at all, do you? I said, Well, I've been very funny now, but. Um, <laughs> I said, your eyes moisten. Yes, that's true, Brian. And he was like that. Anyway, we gradually walked back to the caravan, and there was um, uh, Gary Linden himself, uh, the actor playing it. Um, His name will come to me in a second. (laughs) Uh, Ah, Good good heavens. Um, Playing Barry Linden. And he was in the caravan. And I walked into his special caravan. And he made me coffee and that. And then he plunged his face into mine, Kubrick. And said, uh, tell me about boxing. And it's a subject I know a hell of a lot about. I was Yorkshire schoolboy boxing champion. And and when I was a child, we had great British heavyweights who were equal to Joe Lewis. So I talked about me going to America uh, when I was in Z cars in 1965, and meeting Jack Dempsey, the Manasseh Mauler, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Of course, Dempsey, Rocky Marciano, uh, Joe Lewis, has a Charles Joseph Wilcott, Gene Tunney, Muhammad Ali, the whole lot. And they were at Dempsey's restaurant uh, in New York. That's the one in Godfather, you see it. And uh, I-, I had a wonderful time with them because I was the guest of the police. And Dempsey has a- to Jack Dempsey, the Manassa Mauler, a white man. I said, you're my dad's great hero. And I said, to a certain extent, mine as well. But then I said, I put it, which is a silly question, because I'd got Joe Lewis as a child, Jesse Wilcott, Gene Tunney, Dempsey, Rocky Marciano, and others. And it's a silly question, and there's no answer to it. Um, Who is the greatest heavyweight of all time? And they all unreservedly said, oh, Rocky Marciano. 13 stone, five and a half pounds, five foot nine, who was never defeated. See, so he beat everybody. And Judge Joe Wilcott said, my God, you know, I hit Rocky about a hundred times in the World Heavyweight Championship. He didn't even grunt. He was ter- <laughs> was terrifying. You know, Rocky's, oh my God. And also what makes him better than us, he said, he retired with lots of money, <laughs> undefeated, and we retired in debt. You, so they all roar with laughter about that. And I said to him, well... I said uh, to Jack Dempsey, my father always wanted to know who who would win between you and Joe Lewis. It is always considered the the greatest heavyweight of all time is Muhammad Ali, but the best is considered to be Joe Lewis, the brown bomber. Ali said that to him. He said, oh, I couldn't have coped with him. Not the speed, not his terrifying accuracy and power. Would you have beaten Dempsey? And Dempsey said, I'll answer that, Brian. I think that... uh, in a straightforward fight, he'd out, have outpointed me. Well, he couldn't have knocked me out like he did with everybody else. And Lewis said, Yes, but Jack would have beat me in a phone booth. So they were very <laughs> generous to each other. Of course, I'll end on that you note know, by saying that knowing all about boxing and heavyweights, you cannot judge kind of Henry Cooper or uh, Joe Lewis. Or, or, or any of the big heavyweights at the moment, Joshua and all of them. Because if Marciano were alive today, he'd be four stone heavier and he'd be five inches taller. They weren't as big then. But nevertheless, taking all that into account, I don't think Joshua, any of them, could have coped with Marciano. They'll go to Marciano and just simply say to him, have you ever seen a Marciano fight? It's like the end of the world. He could fight 500 rounds nonstop. He had to Q, in his right hand which put people in hospital for life. And the presidents wanted to meet him in America and show this great big... And he was a sweet guy yeah. out of the ring, but lethal in the ring, absolutely terrifying in the ring. It was a great uh, Rocky Mountain. So anyway, I discussed all this with Kubrick. <laughs> and then when I finished, and uh, Kubrick said, right, well, um, I'd like you in a few weeks' time to come to my house. I've forgotten the name of it in Somerset, come and visit me there, and to discuss the boxing and everything else. Because it's my biggest passion. Surprise me, I thought it'd be space. Right, surprised me. I said, I, it's extraordinary, isn't it, Stanley? I said, you brought me along here not to offer me the part of a small man who's gay. You brought me here to really question me ...and milk me about boxing. He said, yeah, that's right, Captain. <laughs> so it wasn't about a small man who's gay... ...and he went, Ah <laughs> And he roared laugh. At last, you, Brian? <laughs> a small man who's gay? Absolutely impossible. <laughs> See you in a few weeks, Brian. <laughs> They're a bastard. <laughs> anyway, it was most intriguing to meet you. But anyway, I have a long story short uh Like many people, the interplanetary... is such a... La- never change it. Interplanetary... One day you will have aliens come in here and talk. Of course you will. I mean, there's so much going on at the moment. What is in the realm of the imagination, I feel very strongly, uh, exists. So everything you imagine about the universe exists. I mean, I didn't tell them down there, but life, I feel, is not a discovery at all. Not a discovery at all. That's nonsense. It imprisons us. Uh, T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of our exploring will be to arrive at the place where we started and know it for the first time. So I talked to Carl uh, Sagan about it. I said, it's all memory, isn't it? Yes, yes. We're not discovering. We're remembering. We have to remember. So everything in the universe we're part of. We're as old as the universe, so we know it. We have to remember it. We remember the Drake equation. We remember this equation, that equation. We're remembering. We have to find ways of remembering. Actually, talking about
1: exploring, Brian, you're just mentioning the amazing places that you've been on Earth. And only, was it a couple of weeks ago, in the news about lava tubes being found on the moon, And now we're talking about going back there and inhabiting the moon as well as as Mars, of course. Yes. Now, what tips would you have for any of our listeners about how to cope living in extreme environments?
0: Well, we're very adaptable. Um, I think Tim Peake has suddenly uh, been there for six months and he did every exercise. He performed brilliantly and he's a credit to the human race. But the fact is, he has suffered from lack of gravity, And this is a problem. So now that we going into space, we have got to have artificial gravity. We are very vulnerable. Um, when we first went to the Moon, when we looked at the cameras of Aldrin and Bozz uh, 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 Aldrin and um, Armstrong, etc., Collins, when they looked at the filming, they saw these white streaks, and of course, it was cosmic rays. Now, I've been at Everest three times, but I've been up there without oxygen on one occasion. And I have a gift for it. I'm not bragging, it's just, I have this gift, thank God. I think it's because of love, in a way, you know, that I'm looked after. Uh, but um, when I was between... There's a change at 5,000 feet, there's a change at 10,000 feet, there's a change at 15,000 feet, a uh, height of Mont Blanc. Then you feel the altitude, a change at 22,500 feet, you've got 14 days to live and you will die. Lack of atmospheric pressure, gamma rays, cosmic rays, uh, lack of oxygen, you name it. At 28,000 feet, you've got one day to live. And you it doesn't matter how well acclimatized you are. When I was at 28,000 feet, I had a day to live. I felt great. But they're all looking, Brian, you've got to go, turn back soon. You must come down. And you're passing people who are dead like statues because their auctions run out. But I didn't know. Anyway, and so forth. Uh, therefore, that's why the Russians and Americans are very interested. because I, I kind of can take cosmic rays. They are lethal. So they're penetrating me. So, I, you know, I, 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 there's a price to pay. I'm, I've got double vision at the moment because of my Russian space training. I've almost finished it. That's why I've got double vision. The Russian glasses. So I can see properly. Now, there you are. I can see you perfect. One, two, three. Now there's eight of you. (laughs) But there's a price to pay. And now we do belong to this universe, etc. But we have to find ways. Uh, um, The moon is very interesting in the fact being our sister planet, you might say. Because they're finding... um, Helium-3 on the moon, which apparently there's thousands and thousands of tons of it. Uh, Of course, helium uh, doesn't land on the earth. It bounces off our atmosphere and lands on the moon. So it permeates the moon. And it is said, don't ask me what it is, that a ton of it will give Britain pollution-free fuel for about 500 years. So the moon is going to be our saviour. A very suitable place to land is Shackleton down at the point, the the South Pole, the Shackleton Point Uh, because it embraces Britain. But my mind works in all kinds of ways. The scientists love it. There was a Russian mystic called Gurdjieff, George's Gurdjieff, and Uspensky was his student. And Gurdjieff once talked, he talked about everything Jesus and everything else. Uh, For instance, it's commonly understood by science that the Hindu religion completely correlates with science. All our modern science equates with the hindu religion i haven't examined it that much but apparently i will accept carl sagan said the same completely in tune with science we haven't caught the hindu religion up he said gurdjieff was talking to a one of his students tell us about the moon because there are laws yes there are laws in the solar system there's laws in the universe etc there are laws here there are laws there i'm not to follow a but I remember reading this bit by Gurdjieff in, in Search of the Miraculous. And Gurdjieff said, there will be problems. And the moon, you see, the earth is under the law of 98, which suits us perfectly. But the moon is law 48. Then he went on to different planets. The moon is 48, which in actual fact means that if you live there, you can become childish. Strange thing to say. But it was interesting that the next moon landing, they got their vehicles out. And they were driving around and going, woo woohoo, woo And NASA said, guys, it's wonderful to see your celebrations. You've been doing it for several hours now. Can you please switch off the engines and this? get back to sense of sense of sense? Guys, you're behaving like children. And <laughs> I always remember Gurdjieff saying that it will make... So the, the people who live on the moon might, you might, people might say, when they're leaving Bridlington or they're leaving Brixham or they're leaving Birmingham, we don't like really going to the moon because the people who live there, they're a bit childish. Uh, you know? So I'm just saying that each world will have an effect. But we're part of it. And Mars, we're finding, you know, is a miraculous place. It's mountains. I'll never forget Chris Bonington once. Bonington... Um, uh, was a friend of the past and helped me with my mountaineering and i'd hell with altitude by the way uh, uh, you know. And he came back from trying to climb Menlungsi with all the British climbers, mm. Alan Hinks and all of them, and David Boucher from America. And he had flew and he'd failed and he came back and he stayed with me for two or three days. Oh Brian, I've mean, having dinner this evening. and people were in there. I, I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about mountains," said Bonington. "I'm fed a, I don't want to see a ridge or a Bergesen or an erect. I don't want to ever see a mountain again." <laughs> I thought, right, 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 good. After about an hour, I was talking, I made sure he could hear me, I was talking about Mars. said, it's really amazing, you know, Alan, on Mars, uh, the, one of the Olympus Mons is about the size of Spain and about um, nearly three times higher than Mount Everest and Bonington, what, what's that? <laughs> uh, sorry, because I was just saying that Olympus Mons is nearly three times higher than Mount Everest, the size of Spain. And Chris looked at me and said, What's the atmosphere like on Mars? (laughs) I said, you want to to give up mountaineering? The next bloody instant, he wants to go to bloody Mars. The Interplanetary Podcast is alive!
1: So, how how brilliant. Incredible. And there's more to come next week.
2: Absolutely genius. So I'm I'm going to quickly finish with the uh, with uh, what's coming up. All right, what's coming up? So there's a Falcon 9 rocket that's about to launch, probably launching right now as I'm speaking, and it's got a a mystery on board. A mystery what? called oh. Zuma Zuma, and that's not a, that's not a type of exercise. It is a secret rock, a secret satellite, a secret satellite.
1: How now, secret? No one,
2: it, it's very secret, like very little is known about what this thing does, like oh. really little. The mission patch is very bl- plain, there's no kind of uh, crocodile or black knight in there, it's just literally a, 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 it's just a plain old mission patch with a Falcon 9 and a planet behind Interesting. it. Interesting, if you were so, a betting
1: man, Matt, what would you say it was? I would say it's some form of spy satellite. You reckon? Yeah. Someone from another podcast wants to see how we do our shit yeah. <laughs> Jake wants to know how come we keep getting this so many Jake. things this wrong. This is Jake. This is definitely Jake. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going I with that. I think Jake is trying to infiltrate our notes and putting in wrong facts so that we, you know, we look like fools. Oh, my we would God. Because we would never get facts wrong normally. No, no. As you time. know.
2: So no. I think he's been influencing us. I think he's been sending okay. like, like, really, yeah. So we get it wrong. Gosh, so much fake
1: news about. I'm going to look into so,
2: it. It's really this one's really this one's really big for, for, for SpaceX though, because it's the third time they've they've launched a military contract. So if they get this right, they really will have cemented themselves as the military's choice for wow. launching satellites, which okay. is unprecedented. Uh, and, it, and of course, it means that Congress is chuffed because the Air Force are, are now not relying on rocket engines that aren't built in the US. Oh, man, that so, would be good. So, yeah. yeah, so uh, Elon Musk smashing it there, smashing oh, I'll it i tell you what,
1: quite a week for him. Did you see the semi-truck? And <laughs> out of the back of the truck, when they launched it, I believe yesterday or the day before, mm-hmm. there was a new Roadster that came out the back just when the, everyone thought that the presentation on his electric trucks had, finished he was like oh by the way we've got Mm -hmm. this new we've got the new tesla roadster this thing goes from naught to 60 in 1.9 seconds and he was quoted (laughs) to say it will make all gasoline fueled cars seem sluggish well yeah how cool is that i guess it will get in there musk
2: (laughs) drink drink now i must admit i thought that the delta 2 had long stopped flying uh but no this like it's a quite still going. old looking yeah it's still it's still going and this one looks really uh really, it just just it just looks really old fashioned i don't know why uh and this will be the joint polar satellite system which is the next generation uh, uh polar orbiting weather observatory uh so that that will that will undoubtedly uh, beam back these beautiful pictures back to back to earth that uh, will appear on everyone's instagram feeds over the next 10 years Uh, And uh, uh, China launched, uh, are trying to launch a Long March Six rocket this 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 week. Also, an Earth observation satellite, the the Jilin one. There we go.
1: Well, goodness me!
2: So quite busy, quite busy, busy times. Um, Busy times in the old space. So, Jamie, what we what we doing next week? Well, just chilling.
1: We're just chilling, aren't we? <laughs> no, yeah. actually, I've got.
2: We, I've actually. We, I, I, hopefully, Jamie, you can join me tomorrow. But we've also we've got an, an interview with David Baker that we're going to stick in yes. as well. Uh, about uh, now that the dust has settled, we will be talking finally about Elon Musk's Musk's Elon Musk's BFR.
1: Incredible scenes.
2: We're going to do a, a bit of a deep dive on that with one of uh, one of the. Uh,
1: world's leading space experts, uh, David. Just, it's just what we do. It's just what we can bring. What we're bringing to the table.
0: Ah, I don't want to brag about it. Ah.
1: You know, people think we're small fry, but yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you like them apples? Click on the, uh, click on
2: the, uh, on the old iTunes. Subscribe. Oh, please, please leave do. A lovely, uh, lovely. Oh, i please, do. For us. Christmas is and, coming. Um, if you do an extra special review, you might find a interplanetary mug or wall clock coming your way. Thank Sweet you very relief.
1: Much. I want to win that.
2: So, well, we all want to win it. Oh that's why God, I keep that's yeah. why I keep signing in on different accounts and leaving reviews. I mean, Matt, I don't want to
1: say stocking fillers, but I'm going to say stocking fillers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> stocking
2: filler. Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 with you. Oh yeah. Dude, we, we've, we've done it. We've done it. We've done this. We've filled this podcast. We've done we, it. We can move on. We can move on. So, Jamie.
1: It's the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting, putting the A's, A's back, back in into space. space. Dive.
2: The thing is, we don't need to do that. We don't that, need Bob, to. He's just, done our jingles. Going, he's done our jingle. And that, uh, we can use that Interplanetary Podcast forever now. Oh, Hell my God. We have... Yes. Jamie, we have a Shakespearean actor world famous actor world famous voice artist
1: doing our podcast slogan it's just you know is this real life
2: kaboom kaboom I'm pinching myself oh no I've woken up
1: (laughs) (laughs) Matt stop pinching yourself you'll go blind I told you that nice nice anyway Jamie let's wrap it up alright bye everyone I know you're enjoying
2: I know you're enjoying talking to me bye everyone see you soon bye see you soon bye. Bye. bye
0: Oh, 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 oh,